Well, yesterday I had an encounter with a snake at my house. Oh, yeah. I said the same thing. Well, the snake was there, and then 10 minutes later, it was dead. And I thought in my mind, yeah, put that on the snake Twitter sphere. Don't mess with Kellen Allen. <laughs> now, before you go and think you can call me to deal with any snake issues that you might have at your house, let me give you the rest of the story. So I was going outside to take out the trash, and I see the snake sitting there. He was just chilling on the side of my house, and immediately what I did when I locked eyes with the snake and realized it was real, I hid it back in the house. I shut the garage, I went in the house, and I tried to act like nothing happened. I wanted it to go away, but it didn't go away. I knew it was still sitting out there. But you see, I had, I had a thought right then and there that a neighbor of mine that was down the street we had been having conversations, and he told me that he had overcome this snake issue. He had killed like five snakes this year. So the first thing I thought of was, well, let me call him. And the text that I sent him that said, you feel like killing a snake? And he said, you got one? I said, yeah. He said, absolutely. I'm on my way down. That's the type of guy I need on my street. So I go outside, and I see him. And he's strolling down the street strong, looking like Rambo. I mean, he had a shovel over his shoulder, and he was ready to do work. And he asked me where the snake was, and I pointed to the snake. And he looked at the snake, and it was interesting because when I looked at the snake, the snake looked back at me like, what you going to do, brother? <laughs> so he didn't budge. But when my buddy Rod looked at the snake, the snake immediately started to back up like, oh, man, I got to get up out of here. And so as soon as he started to back up, Rod took his shovel and went to work on the snake, and the snake was no longer there. And you see, I, you know, I don't have problem killing bugs and, and small, small things, right? But when it comes to bigger animals like snakes and, and those type of things, I got to call in reinforcements. That's just not me. I don't do those type of things. Well, the Christian life is very similar. As men, there's sometimes we need to call in reinforcements. There's sometimes that we need help dealing with the problems that we have. And you see, every day that we live on this earth, we're going to have these fleshly desires, these fleshly temptations that sometimes God's given us the strength to handle them by ourselves. But there's other times where we need to bring in reinforcements and we need to be in all-out war against the sins that we're having to put them to death immediately. You see, the struggles that you have in your life, because everybody has these sin fleshly desires within their life. And some of them, again, are small and some of them are big. But whenever you have those come up, you need to have a solution that's going to put them to an end right then and there immediately and not allow them to linger on. Well, Paul gives us a message in Colossians, starting at verse 5 today, that's going to tell us exactly the solution that we need to get rid of those fleshly desires that you and I both have in our life. So if you haven't already, let's go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 3, and we're starting at verse 5. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. It's just to give us a review of what we talked about last week. We opened up in Colossians verses 1 through 4, and Paul set the tone with setting our minds on things above, seeking the things that are above, not here on earth, but focus on Christ and all the decisions and everything that we do in our life. So now Paul is going to talk to us a little bit about how we deal with 
the fleshly desires of our life. Starts like this in verse 5. It says, put to death, therefore. Therefore what? Therefore, if you are seeking what's above, like we talked about last week, put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, what is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two, you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. You see, I love how Paul puts it. He says, put to death. He's talking about killing. He's talking about immediately, violently dealing with sin in that nature. And too often, we're trying. We're working on it. We're struggling with it. And we're nice about our sin. Why? Because truthfully, we don't mind our sin. We actually like it. We like to play both sides of it. We like to have it around. It's okay. It just gives ourselves a a justification or or an excuse to let it continue to linger when we say we're working on it. But it'd be like this. It'd be like you being in your bedroom, getting ready to go to sleep at night, and you had a fly in your bedroom. If you had a fly in your bedroom, I'd imagine you'd take a few swats at it. But if you didn't catch the fly, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. You'd just go to sleep because it can't harm you. But let's change it a little bit. And let's say you had a black widow spider crawling on your bed. Well, guess what? You're not just going to sleep that easily if a black widow spider is around. You're going to do everything that you can to kill that thing or permanently get rid of it above anything else. Why? Because you know what that can do to you if you let it linger around. It can kill you. And so the actions are different, and we need to have that same mindset, that same approach against those fleshly desires, those sins that we have in our life. I put it this way for point number one this evening is kill your fleshly desires. Kill your fleshly desires. We need to be willing to do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to kill the fleshly desires. We have to all out be at war with the fleshly desires. We need to kill the fleshly desires before it kills us. And if we love God, if we truly love God like we say we love God, we're not going to continue to practice and allow those things to linger that are going to store up wrath, as it says in the Scripture. Only what's done for Christ will last. Those are the only things that matter. But... Paul, in our passage today, he provides many sins throughout his letter. Many sins. He lists them off in multiple different letters that he has. But he, he hones it down to two in verses 5 and verses 8 today. And that doesn't mean that these two sins are exhaustive. These are the only ones that are impacting us, that are causing us to cater towards our fleshly desire. But if you take a look at these two sins 
that he really categorizes here, they're ones that show up in pretty much every list of sins that he gives. They're consistent. And those two lists that we have here in verses 5 and 8, you know, as you read them on the surface, you wonder, why does he have to spread up, split up the two lists? We're going to break it down a little bit here and, and help you understand why. So the first list that he talks about has to deal with sex and perverted love. So they're sex-related. The second list is more anger-related. The first list is dealing more with the internal feelings. The second list is dealing more with the external. The first list involves a lot of self. The second list involves a lot of external dealing with somebody else. You see, these were common 2,000 years ago, sex-related and anger. It dominated the culture. And guess what? It dominates our culture today, too. Probably even more so. And many of you that struggle with, with sin, they have to do with sex-related sin and anger-related sin. So it, it, it hits home for us as well. But let's unpack this list so we can get a better understanding of it. As he goes down his first list, the first one he mentions is sexual immorality. Sexual immorality and the Greek term for that is porneia. And so that's where we get our word porn from. Okay? And so when we think about sexual immorality and impurity, you can even bucket that together. It's that, that filthiness, right? That unclean version of the sexual thought. And if Covenant Eyes did a research and they, they really uh, split out how many Christian men struggle with porn or watch it at least once a month. You know what that number was? 64%. 64% of men that call themselves Christian watch porn at least once a month. So if I just do the math and look at this room, two-thirds of this room has watched porn in the last month. And that's one that we have to kill immediately because it kills relationships that we have, right? Those things, are, it becomes selfish because all we're doing is looking to please ourselves. right? It becomes lazy because we don't want to put forth the effort towards our wife. We want a quick fix. We don't want to put forth the effort towards, if you're not married, going to seek out a godly woman. We want a quick fix. And it just is destructive. There's no good that can come from it. But it's not just porn that Paul is talking about here. He's talking about any type of unlawful sexual intercourse that's outside of what God designed in the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. Anything outside of that, sexual immorality. He also then gets into evil desires and passions, right? It's that, that lustful thought, that one to take a second and a third look and think about what you would do with the woman that walks by. And we think that it's innocent, but Again, God calls that out here as a major sin that we need to kill. And then the last one that he has here is covetousness. And that's the desire to have more than what's actually needed in your life. You want more than what God has given. It's the opposite of contentment. And contentment is godly. That's seeking after God. And Paul talks about that in Philippians 4.11. He says this, he says, He's talking about God's provision in, in, in chapter, or excuse me, in verse 10. 
he, he's, he's talking to the Philippians and he's saying, look, I, I'm happy that you revived your concern for me. But look, in verse 11, he says, not that I'm speaking of being in need. Thank you for being concerned, but I'm not in need. He says, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Being content, not coveting after things. But you see, if you look at that list, that first list, the, the action, the sexual immorality is the first thing that's listed. The covetousness is the last thing. That's the root issue of everything that's listed in that. Well, if you take a look at our second list, the root is anger. He starts with that anger and wrath in verse 8. That's the root issue. Matthew 5.22 says it's equal to murder. Jesus said if you're angry, it's equal to murder, how he's looking at it. And that leads to, if you break it down, malice, which is the, the mean and intentional evil. It's, it's what happens with, uh, if you read social media about our politicians, right? People just say easy, evil things, talking about death threats, right? These are people made after God's own image. And some of us have typed those keys as well or had those thoughts too. But then it gets into slander and, and blaspheme and insulting somebody, impacting their reputation and the last part of it is the action is the filthy language, the obscene talk. So when you have that anger built up in you, it ultimately leads to the action of obscene language coming out of your mouth. Jot this down, Matthew 12, 36, 37, it says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. You see, where this hits home for us today, this, this anger that we have, is many of you are working from home. And working from home during this quarantine has built up a lot of pent-up anger, right? You don't have that decompression time that you used to have driving from work to home and uh, home to work. You don't have that time. You're at home now. And so what it's caused you to have is a much shorter fuse with your family, because your you're, you're built-up anger that you're having or frustrations that you're having at work, you're at home. And then all of a sudden, you open up a door, and now there's your wife and your kids. And whatever frustration that you had, you don't have that time to decompress, so you take it out on them. And so this anger that Paul is talking about, we have it today because of the circumstances that we're in. And again, going back to our point, we need to kill that fleshly desire. Whatever you need to do, whatever you need to prepare to make sure that that doesn't happen, we need to put those things in place. We need to be able to take it to the next level to make sure that we're killing those desires and those sins that we have. We need to armor up. Don't be reactive to the situation that you have at hand. Be proactive. Pray about it. If you need that decompression time, have it at home before you go out and interact with your family. Paul then reminds us as, as we continue in the verses, hey, don't look back. Make sure you look forward. Paul, he, he looks at the past and said, hey, you too once walked and lived in them. And the reason that you left the position that you used to be in as an unbeliever is because you finally got to the realization that that wasn't worth it and you needed Christ. And he's saying you don't need to look back. If you're driving on a road, 
going down a highway and you're staring in a rearview mirror, eventually you're going to crash. We need to be looking forward, not looking back. There, there's two options that you have. You're either killing sin or you're not killing sin. You're either killing sin or you're not killing sin. That's it. If you've been, work, if you've been working on the same issues for the last month, years, decades, then we're not being obedient to God because we're not putting to death the sins in our life. We're not taking extreme measures like we should be taking to make sure that we put to death those sins that continue to rule our life. If you haven't already, you need to take it to another level. Take it to another level. Don't just sit at what you're capable of doing. Be willing to go above and beyond. There's plenty of guys right now, right now sitting around your table, that if you tell them about a sin issue that's been lingering in your life, they'd be more than willing to tell you about the extremes that they went through to deal with those very sins. But it all comes down to how much are you truly trying to kill your sins? Or are you just okay with it lingering around? Telling guys about it. The other thing is filling your schedule with ministry stuff. The more you fill your mind with things that are God-related, the more that starts to produce in your life. The more we just allow our minds to be filled with whatever, the world will take over. And we will continue to be around those earthly desires. The other thing is we need to be in the Word more. Be in the Word, and especially during those times where you're tempted to cater towards those earthly desires, let that be a trigger for you to open up God's Word and grow closer to Him during that time. We've got to figure out where we're weak at in life and put in the appropriate measures to make sure that we kill the sin and not let it linger. Romans 6.12 says this, it says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Because if you let it, it will. But if you kill it, as God's telling us to, then you give yourself a chance to be more like Christ. Because God's given us all the necessary tools, all the necessary tools that we need to kill sin. He proves this to us in 1 Corinthians 10.13. 1 Corinthians 10.13, it says, No temptation, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. You might feel like it is. You might feel like you're the only person that's dealing with this. You might feel like you can't overcome it. But God tells us right here, no temptation has overcome that's not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. He's going to provide that way of escape. You just have to be willing to fight it and to kill off sin. When I was at 24-Hour Fitness, um, I had, didn't have really good luck of hiring entrepreneurs, people that were self-employed prior to coming to 24. You see, it's because they came in with the same mindset. They weren't willing to adapt. They would come in thinking that they had to hustle for everything, not realizing that this is a big corporation, a billion-dollar corporation. Used to be a billion-dollar corporation. Probably not anymore, but there was a ton of resources. You didn't have to do everything on your own. And so they would, they would get stuck in their old ways and their old habits trying to figure things out and not utilizing all the resources that they had. And they didn't make it. So God's given us an abundance of resources. 
between men's, men, Christian men that are in your life, between God's word, between fellowship and around other believers in general, we just need to make sure that we use them. And we need to make sure that we're being truthful to ourselves and others about our sin issues that we have. Let's pick it up in verse 9 back in our passage. It says this about being truthful. It says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Renewed after its creator, Christ, the image of God in the flesh. He says, don't lie. Do not lie. But unfortunately, with lying, we domesticated it so much that we call it things like a white lie, an innocent lie. A lie is a lie. A lie is a lie. God's standards didn't change. Our standards changed. Right? So God's telling us, do not lie. And we need to be honest as Christian men about the struggles that we're having. And being honest about our sins is going to allow us to be able to work at killing our sins and allow for the resources that God has pulled around us to get rid of them. As if we continue to put on a front as if everything's okay, then we become less like Jesus and more like Satan, the father of lies, John 8.44 tells us. And so we need to be more like Jesus. Yes, we're not going to be perfect like Jesus, but we do need to be perfect about sharing what sins and what earthly desires and passions are, are, are ruling our lives and the ones that we're struggling with. And we need to be able to confess those sins to those that God has put around us. And that's point number two for us this evening. It's confess your sins. Confess your sins. Get it out there. Get prayer and accountability. I, I guarantee you, if you confess your sins tonight, let somebody know in your group tonight what you're struggling with, that sin that's just been lingering, that you don't have the power by yourself to be able to overcome. I guarantee you you'll have multiple men that are willing to follow up with you, hold you accountable, to help you kill that sin. They'll do that for you because somebody's done it for them more than likely in their life. And we need to understand that it's not a surprise if we're tempted. It's not a surprise that you have sin in your life. We all have sin in our life. And Paul, Paul explains this in Romans 7, 19. He shares with us that it's a struggle. He says this, he says, For I do not do the good that I want. The good things that he wants to do, he, he doesn't do them. He says, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. So Paul's admitting to this. He's, he's saying, I, look, I want to do good. I'm trying to do good. But sometimes this flesh, sometimes this sin just overtakes me. And so the good that I want to do, I don't always do it. But the evil that I don't want to do is what I end up doing. And so if Paul is struggling with it, you and I are going to struggle with it. And every other person walking the face of this earth is going to struggle with it as well. It goes back to do we, are we being honest in confessing the sins that we're struggling with? You see, because suppressing it causes a bigger issue. You remember the old pinball game, right? the arcade game, pinball machine? It's like if you pull back on that little knob there, the more and more you pull back and try to hold back on sin, the harder and harder it's coming up with more and more force. Okay, so we got to get this sin, stop harboring it, because it's going to hurt us at some point or another. We need to confess our sins and pray and allow other brothers to pray for us and hold us accountable. 
we, we lack confession because we want to be seen as more holy than we really are. We lack confession because we want to be seen as more holy than we really are. Well, let me go ahead and break that ice for you. Look to your left and look to your right. Those brothers that you're sitting next to, they're broken sinners. You, you're a broken sinner. And if you don't see where this train is going already, if you, the preacher that you're looking at right now is a broken sinner in need of God's mercy and grace and kindness. Amen? Amen. We, we need to be able to confess our sins and let each other know about it because he's, he's patient and he's kind, but that doesn't, his kindness is not for us to hold on to and take advantage of. Romans 2.4, it tells us God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. He's given us an opportunity with his kindness and his patience for us to repent, not to continue to con- harbor this. God's gifted you with every single Christian that you encounter. God's gifted you with every single Christian man that you're sitting next to right now. And two things should happen here. One, for all of us, we need to get more real with our prayer request. Get more real with your prayer requests. Too many times we're having prayer requests that say, pray for boldness. God, help me to have more patience. God, help me to have good health. Right? These generic prayer requests. We don't understand prayer as, as God's gift to us that he wants to answer for us. And we, we miss out on this opportunity to say, God, I'm struggling with being patient and honoring to my wife. We miss out on these opportunities to say, God, I'm struggling because I'm having lustful desires. We miss out on these opportunities to say, God, I got a short fuse and I can't help but to let anger continue to take over. We need to get more real in our prayer requests. Challenge each other to do that. And the other thing is we need to get more involved in other men's lives. God's put all of these men around you. It wasn't by accident. It was very intentional, very specific. He knew what you needed, and he put brothers around you in Christ. But the way we get to know brothers, the way we really connect is get beyond the surface. Find out who they really are, what they really struggle with. And it's not about just, hey, here's my dirty laundry, but that's truly how we help each other become more like Christ because we can't do it by ourselves. And it starts with you. It starts with you. It's not about looking around and saying, I wonder what they're going to think of me. They're going to think I'm, I'm less holy than what I am. Or I wonder what somebody's going to say. Don't worry about what other people are going to say. It starts with you. Just think the impact that you can have if tonight you're that person that steps up and says, hey, guys, this is what I'm struggling with, and I would love some accountability and prayer. Just think of how you would encourage the rest of your group. It starts with one person. It starts with you. Take that on. Take that challenge on. It calls us this new self. This new self needs constant renewal, right? It needs constant refreshing. It's being renewed. 
Paul put that in, in the present tense. It's, it's not past. It's continual process. We constantly need to be renewed, constantly need to have a renewal of the mind. All right? We're saved, but that sin is still there. We still need to have that renewal to be more like Christ. You can jot these two references down that give us more detail on that. 2 Corinthians 4.16. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says this. It says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Also, Romans 12.2. Romans 12.2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Again, it's, it's not by doing things yourself. There's certain things that God allows you to have the strength to overcome yourself. But we all have fleshly desires that we cannot overcome by ourselves. We need God's strength and we need our brothers around us to help. If we pick it up back in verse 11, this is what it talks about. We're in this together. We're, we're in this together as a team. Verse 11, it says this, here. Here, where? Where is here? In your new self, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. I don't know what was going on with Paul when he was writing this letter, but he got pretty list happy. This is the third list that he's he's written down in this short letter. So, uh, But if we break it down, it, it just makes sense. Like when he's talking about the Greeks... He's classifying them as the elite class, right, the smartest people. These are, these are your, your top notch is what the Greeks think of themselves. And then you have the Jews who are God's special people, right? This is God, God's people to where everybody else is not, and they are God's chosen people. So they're high and mighty as well. Then you have the, the circumcised, which are your Jews, and your uncircumcised, which is the rest of the pagan world. And then you have your barbarians. So the barbarians... The Greeks looked at them as foreigners, and they weren't as worthy as them. They weren't as smart as them. They were lower on the totem pole is how Greeks looked at them, so they called them barbarians. And then you have these Scythians who are the lowest of the barbarian class. And so most of these Scythians were slaves of Greeks, and how they classified them as one level pretty much above a wild animal. And then the last two are slaves and free. So slaves in this day, are, they, they barely have any type of citizenship. Right? They don't get classified. They get abused, and people don't think much of them. And the free people didn't hang out with them. Right? They, they would never be seen with a slave. So you see, we have all of these divisions and all of these different statuses, but Christ is saying we're all one in him. We're all one. It'd be like you, you flying in an airplane, right, and you're going over downtown L.A., from that high point, that high view, although you got multiple buildings and skyscrapers, everything looks even. It's not till you get to the earthly surface that you see that there's different sizes of buildings, right? And so from our view, yes, there's different statutes of people and statuses, excuse me, of people, and we think people are bigger than others. But from Christ's view, well above where we are, we're all equal. We have different roles and responsibility, but in Christ, we're all one and equal, and we need to work together. 
Because if we don't work together, guess what? You're not strong enough. I'm not strong enough to handle Satan. He will tear us apart every time. And we need to understand that. And he wants, Satan wants many divisions. He wants divisions. He wants opposition. He wants everything that our culture is doing today. He's saying, well done. Keep it up. Keep it up. But on the Christian team, Christ wants one team that's centered and focused on him. And that's it. There's one objective focus, and it's on him. You see, the world cries out right now and wants equality. Right? It wants everybody to be seen as the same, on the same level, as equal. The problem is with the world, they will never get equality in everybody playing at the same level. Why? Because you got a whole bunch of sinners trying to make other sinners like them. See, there's a lot of subjectiveness across the board. And so if you ask 100 people what equality looks like, you might get 100 different answers on what equality looks like. The thing is, in Christ, we have one objective, to be more like Christ. And so there's this unity there. There's this, this camaraderie, there's this teamwork, and it, there, there's this, this, this power that you can have, this strength that you can have with the unity in Christ that the world will never know about because there's so many different opinions on what it looks like. We get everybody working together. It doesn't matter if you're black, white, Jew, brown, orange, whatever. We, you, you're working together because it's all one in Christ, and there's so much strength in that, so much strength in that. And that brings us to our final point this evening is we need to feel the strength of unity in Christ. Feel the strength of unity in Christ. You see, it just clicks well when you are in conversation, when you're in fellowship with another Christian because the Holy Spirit is working. The Holy Spirit is allowing us to meet somebody for the first time, a Christian, and that conversation can just be endless because there's just so much depth that you can go to when you got two believers together. So much, so much more depth than your loved ones that you may have known your entire life. They may have known you since birth, but then it seems like you have to work a little bit harder for that com- conversation because it seems to come to an end. Well, it's not because you don't love them as much, but you don't have the same end goal. You don't have the Holy Spirit working. You see, the unity in Christ, there's no pride. There's, there's no ego because we're all one and we're fully functioning. It's just a beautiful thing. There's so much hope and unity on Christ's team. Galatians 3.28 says this. It says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus it's a parallel passage to ours today. All one in Christ Jesus. You see, it, it talked about it earlier in Colossians. Pastor PJ hit on this during his series was, you know, Christ is the center point. He, he's creation at the beginning. He's redemption. And he's coming back in the end. All of it re- revolves around Christ. And he is our, our one center point. And we can have that unity and strength in him. Well, with that uh, snake encounter uh, that I had yesterday, uh, there was a secondary option that I could have taken with that. I could have closed my garage and I could have went back in the house and truly went through with nothing's out there, nothing's going to happen. I didn't see a snake. 
And I could have let that snake just continue to go into my backyard, continue to take over my backyard, and just let it rule and allow it to impact my family and impact the routines that we have by just not saying anything. By just not saying, you know what, I don't want to bother my neighbor down the street. By thinking that, hey, if I call him, he's not going to think I'm this uh, tough, macho man guy that can handle anything. He's going to think less of me. As Christians, we do the same thing. We have this, these, these sin issues that we have, these things that have taken over and dominated our life. But then we say, hey, I don't want to bother anybody because I'm still working on trying to figure it out. Or you say that, I, you know what, I want them to think that I'm a little bit higher, mighty, and more godly than I truly am. So I can't tell them the truth about what I'm dealing with because they're going to think less of me. Well, God is very clear to start off this passage. Put to death. I don't know much, how much clearer he can be. He didn't say try. He didn't say work hard. He didn't say do what you can. He said kill it. Kill it. He's given us the resources to be able to kill any type of sin that's common to man that's ruling our life right now. The question that you have to ask yourself, are you going to go above and beyond to kill your fleshly desires? Are you going to go above and beyond to kill your fleshly desires? That's the question. And I don't even know, I don't remember what I even wrote on the lesson questions. But I think that the most productive discussion that you can have, and I'm, I'm not trying to overthrow the leaders, you can do what you want to, but I think the most productive discussion that you can have in your small groups is finding out where men are truly struggling with sin that they haven't confessed. And let this be an opportunity that it changes today where we say, I'm going to trust my brothers that God has put around me, and this is what I'm struggling with, and this is what I need accountability with. And that's one part of the equation. The other part of it is the brothers that are hearing that, being able to surround that brother because you got the same situation in your life as well. And we need fellowship. We need accountability. We need prayer. We need guys following up with one another. And that can change today. We can stop suppressing these sin issues that we have. And let's make this resolve today that we stop letting these sin issues linger and control our life. And let's slow down and be honest with one another and realize that we're all broken sinners. Nobody's perfect here. We all have sin issues that we need help with. And God has put men around your life today. And we just need to be honest with ourselves and get the help, use the resources that God has given us so that we all, as Christian men sitting here at Compass Bible Church, can be more like Christ starting tonight. Let's pray. God, thank you for just the, the intention of your word, killing sin. It's not too often we see you give the green light to kill anything for us in the Bible but you're very intentional about putting to death because it's that important. 
If we don't look to kill sin, it will kill us. We may not think that's true, but we don't think it's true until it actually happens. It can destroy our life, Lord. And so I pray that today we would be more intentional. We would use the resources that you've given us. We would use our brothers in Christ that are sitting next to us right now. We would use the opportunity that you've given us to pray, to have prayer requests, to lift up our prayers to you, knowing that you want to answer our prayers as believers. So, Lord, help us to be more truthful and more honest with each other. Help us to slow down and realize that we're all on one team striving to be more like Christ. And I pray that that would take place tonight and that it would carry on into the future and it would impact our families, our wives, our kids. And uh, starting with this group of men today, that it would impact the church. We would start to be more of an honest church because we, we care about fighting and killing sin that much. We thank you for your word, Lord, and I pray for our discussions to be fruitful and pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen.